Hi, everyone. This is Carrie Bellog. I am the founder and chief groupie of Brand Groupies Consulting, where we obsess about your brands. Build your brand, rock your brand, and fans will come. Welcome, everyone, to the Brand Groupies podcast, where we talk to inspiring entrepreneurs and brand leaders building and rocking their brands. Today, I just might have my most famous podcast guest, my very own mother-in-law, Mary Vellog. It dawned on me while doing the dishes together over the holiday that I should ask her to be a guest, and she said yes. So Mary is such an inspiration, and I am beyond honored to have her here. Uh, Mary Vellog is a 35-time New York Times bestselling author of historical romance novels. She has written more than 100 historical novels and novellas. Uh, Talk about a cult following. She has built her brand and has lots and lots of wonderful fans. Born and raised in Swansea, Wales, Mary moved to Canada in 1967 on a two-year teaching contract. There she met and fell in love with her Canadian husband, Robert, and has lived in Saskatchewan, Canada for over 50 years. Thank you so much, Mary, for being here and um, sharing your incredible story and journey with us. I am uh, really honored that you said yes. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so I'd love to start from the beginning. Um, I just love your story and, you know, ask you about your early years growing up in Wales. And, um, you know, when did you start writing or know you had a talent for writing? As far back as I can remember, mm-hmm. I, th- I think I was born and grew up in exactly the right place. Mm-hmm. Uh, It was, well, the Second World War was still on when I was born, which dates me. Um, The Swansea was just rubble, bombed rubble when I was a child. To me, it seemed normal. But we used to play on what we called the bomb buildings. Let's go play on the bomb buildings. Um, We had very little, very few toys, but never missed them. And it was perfect for the imagination. And I knew from... Well, as far back as I can remember that I wanted to be a, an author when I grew up. And I used to write long, long stories as a child. And, and you, I'm assuming you read a lot growing yes. up? Yes. Oh, yes, too, constantly. Just... Yes, whenever I could. Yes. Uh, and then, um, then you went to university, and what did you study? English. English? <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Yes, honest English. Yeah. Um, yes, language and literature. So the perfect preparation for actually writing, not just wanting to write. What were some of your favorite books growing up? My favorite author was Enid Blyton. She was everybody's favorite author in those days. Just wonderful stories about children and adventure. And I I was reading one of them uh, not so long ago, a few months ago, just to see if they still appealed as they did then. And it was amazing the difference in childhood. Those children used to go off on adventures. Mm-hmm. They'd spend a whole day off in the woods behind the house. And I thought, gosh, you wouldn't have a story like that now because, no, everyone would disapprove. You can't let children just run loose in a, in a big forest yeah, for a they, whole day. Mom and dad would activate, where's my child? Yes. The ass. Yes. Like, where'd they go? Yes. Yes. But it, but it was marvelous. It was just wonderful for the imagination of the reader, because yeah. we we always we envisaged ourselves as these wonderful, you know, adventurous children who always solved the big mysteries and had such a wonderful time. Worlds of um, fantasy and well, just 
just wonderful reading. Mm -hmm. She was very much disapproved of Enid Blyton, you know, but we all read her anyway, and thank heaven. Disapproved yes. of? Like, like it was kind of, like, controversial to read her, or...? I think, she, I think because she was so prolific and because everyone loved her, it was assumed that it was very low-level literature for children. And so it was... Uh, lots of adults disapproved, but... Children absolutely adored her and her books. Wow. That's typically how it goes. The kids yes. love it more. The parents <laughs> yeah, know, don't really like I it, know. but it carries over. <laughs> Fortunately, we had parents yes. who just let us read what we wanted to read. Oh, that was wonderful. Yes, it was. Wow. And then, so you um, you attended the university. And tell us about your decision to um, to leave town and travel to to uh, teach. Well, when I finished university to teach, there was... Um, it was very difficult to get a good job in Britain. There was a surfeit of teachers. In contrast, there was a huge shortage of teachers everywhere else in the world. So I think I applied to about 11 different countries. And the first one I heard from was Canada, Saskatchewan, Canada. They actually sent someone over to Britain to interview people. And I can remember going to the interview terribly nervous, thinking, you know, what are they going to ask me? I'd prepared all sorts of answers. And he, I sat down and he leant across the table and he said, OK, what do you want to ask me? And he had a great pile of papers beside him. Yeah. It turned out they were contracts and you'd pick one off the top. And there you go. They were desperate. <laughs> there you go. Yes. So, I, I, you know, I came on to Canada on a two-year teaching contract. What's and, two and plus what did, two? Four. You're hired. <laughs> yes, yes. He didn't even ask me that. Oh, just, wow. You're hired. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so what did you think of, of Saskatchewan when you arrived? It was a huge culture shock was the term we used in those days. Don't hear it so much these days. A huge culture shock, mm. you know, because it was part of the British Commonwealth, English speaking, you expect it. I expected it to be very similar. It wasn't. Mm -hmm. I went to a town of a thousand people, uh, agricultural town with farmers and uh, teaching with the school was very different. It it didn't work the way I was, you know, I was used to schools working. Children didn't behave the way British <laughs> children behaved. And uh, we were talking a little while ago, Kerry, about, about language and how, you know, you move into a different situation and the language you use doesn't work in that situation. I kept putting my foot in my mouth by using words that were normal words to me, but they were dirty words in oh, Canada. <laughs> I was sort of, a couple of times I'd see the class go... <sighs> Well, I said something. No, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we oh, like this no. teacher. We yeah. want to get kicked out. Well, that, yeah, yes. Oh, my gosh. But, uh, you know, I sort of hated it there for a yeah. while. Yeah. And then I was just getting used to it and starting to like it when I met Roberts at the end of May. Two years later. No, you, one year one later. Year later. Yes. Okay. Yep. I was going back, though. You I was going breaking back. my you contract. Break I was going back. So, um, so you're all packed. You're ready to go. Yes. And then um, it was uh, someone who who set you up, or what happened? No. Yeah, apparently, he'd been trying to to meet me all year okay. in a small town. You know, that's very possible. But I was so busy with school. I, you know, had a pile of marking. I used to stack it on the floor in the place yeah. where I lived. It was always that high. And classes to prepare. And it was strange. The whole curriculum, everything mm. was strange to me. I never went out. I worked 18-hour days. Oh so finally, he called, he phoned me and said, you know, there's this dance on in a neighboring town. Would you like to come? I said, sure. 
and he turned up on the night all sharply dressed. I was describing it to you a few evenings <laughs> Big ago. Big blue eyes. <laughs> I thought, oh my gosh, I like you. <laughs> so, <that's> <laughs> <laughs> so then you go to the dance and um, and then did you hear from him right away? Was it love at first sight? <laughs> He, he phoned me a couple of times without the phone call leading anywhere. I thought, come on, ask me. And it was in those days, you know, it, the man had to do the yes. asking out. But we did go out eventually. I went home. I went. I had my ticket bought to go home to stay. But I changed it to a return ticket. So I went back to Britain for the summer mm-hmm. and then came back again. And um, a year later, we were married. Wow. What a story. Yes. <laughs> Almost 50 years and ago. 50 years. <laughs> yes. yes. So you've been in Saskatchewan for 50 years. 51. 51. Yes, 51 years. years. Quite different. Yes. 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 What a, uh, I, I love how your life <laughs> took a turn to, yes. to uh, you know, completely different um, surrounding. And um, so you, you continued to teach and then you also became a principal. You worked yes. your way up to the role of principal. Yes. You had three children. Yes. Um, the middle one is my husband, Chris. So thank you, Mary, <laughs> for, for having him. And so um, you had three kids. And then you um, you always wrote. But um, tell us about, you know, your um, your routine. You would, you would uh, work all day. You'd have dinner for the family. And then at night you would start you would you would write as a hobby yes quite late in life mm-hmm. I, I you know i had the three children and finally i i had time to read again you know, you <laughs> yes. don't have that with children and when you're teaching mm-hmm. and then i found even reading was too passive I, I used to get dissatisfied with books i read and the endings of books and then i thought okay i've always wanted to write I'll do it. So I just sat down at the kitchen table, wrote longhand. Was there a book mm-hmm. that you remember reading where you were like, I could do better than this? <laughs> um, I can do better? <laughs> yeah, I could do better. <laughs> yes, lots of them. I don't remember a specific book, but I do remember a specific author that finally inspired me, thinking I want to write similar books to what she writes. And that was Georgette Hare. Uh, H-E-Y-E-R, it's variously pronounced, mm. but she herself said it was hair. Okay. I always used to say hair. Yes. Anyway, I love her books, and they're set in the same historical era as mine. They're very witty, very knowledgeable, very mm. uh, research-based. And I read them all, and I can remember reading the last one and thinking there aren't oh. any more. And then I thought, well, okay, I'll write my own. And so I, you wrote... Um, so, uh, so how long did it take you to write your first official book? Uh, it took me about three months to okay. write it longhand, and then I had to type it into an old um, typewriter so did with you, whiteout. Did you think, like, <laughs> oh, I can't even imagine. Did you think, like, when you're writing it, did you have it in mind, like, I'm going to send this to a potential publisher, or you just kind of did it as a hobby and then... It just both, both. Yeah. I think maybe most writers try to say, "Well, it's just a hobby. I would do mm-hmm. it anyway." But inside, you think, "I want to get. I want this to be published." Yes, that is so. fact. <laughs> well, yeah. <That> is- <laughs> yes. So then, um, how did you go about finding a publisher after you had it typed? And well, this was nineteen, the beginning of nineteen eighty four. So there was no internet. There were. I didn't know anything about writers' groups, writers' uh-huh. publications. I didn't have a clue. I had this book. What do I do with it? Mm-hmm. So I, I 
got a few books that were similar types and I looked inside the cover for addresses and there was a Canadian address there. I thought, great. So I packed up the whole manuscript with a a covering letter that was about that long (laughs) and I sent it to the Canadian address and a few weeks later I had an answer telling me it was a distribution (laughs) centre. But someone there had read it and liked it and had sent it on to New York. And two weeks later I had a a phone call from an editor offering me a two-book contract. <laughs> so I sort of slipped through the back door. Wow. <laughs> didn't sit on a slush pile for five or uh, six months. That's awesome. I know. It, it, it shouldn't be allowed, should it, but it happens. And then, so um, the first book was A Masked Deception. Yes. And published in 1985, and you won the Romantic Times Award for Best New Regency Writer. Yes, in that is. year. That's, that's wow! Deception. I, I loved the cover. I, <laughs> I thought I was very lucky to have such a nice cover. Ah, uh, I love it. And and um, what sets you as part? You know, all the facts and all of the dress and everything is so, um, you know, on brand and and and. Um, you know, relevant for that that year that you're writing. And well, you a lot of research, if you're right? going to write any book, but particularly mm-hmm. historical literature, you, you need to know your facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing more jarring to a reader than to come across details and facts that just don't fit the era or to come across language that doesn't fit the country or the era. I'm fortunate because I'm British and I write British historicals. I know the language and I know what is not, I know what are Americanisms. Um, and sometimes copy editors will try to correct what I've, like I'll use the word, um, he has got something. And the copy editor will change it to gotten, G-O-T-T-E-N. And I say, no, 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 no that's no, an Americanism. No, <laughs> no, it has to be British English. Yes. Uh, so I'm lucky in that way mm-hmm. that I, I have the voice. And research, yes, if you're going to write something set in the early 19th century England amongst the aristocratic classes, well, you need to know your stuff, which is not to say I don't make mistakes. I do. And sometimes readers point them out, which which makes me wince. But on the other hand, I think, okay, I'll never make that mistake Mm -hmm. again. So, yes, you need to be authentic. Are all of your stories set relatively around the same time period? Um, I've got one or two that I set earlier back in the... 18th century, about 50 years earlier than most of them. And I, the latest one I wrote was Crimean War, which is 1850s. But most of them are uh, Regency England, which is 1811 to 1820, give or take. Mm. And even down to the covers, I know... You were very particular about yes. the dress and down to the very, you know, the yes. lacing on the back of the I, dress to make sure it was appropriate for that yes. time period. I even left a publisher um, a few years ago because they were giving me covers of bare-chested, men. shaven men, and they wouldn't change them, I and I, I left the publisher. I, I Hollywood yes. would love you. You're so detail-oriented that they just read the book and they're like, oh, that's where we get that. That's where yeah. we do this. I know. This is, you've had it's offers. awesome. She's had offers to make movies, too. I have. Yes. No, nothing has panned out. Mm-hmm. And actually, I'm I'm more happy about it than not. I, th- there's always that feeling it would be lovely to, to have a movie made of one of my books. But I know I would hate it. I would yeah. hate the casting yeah. and I would hate it what would they be. did to the story. 
visually because the Regency dress and carriages and balls and that was so visually wonderful. I'm sure it would be lovely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are some Jane Austen novels that have, have been made into film. Yeah. Visually, they are beautiful. But story-wise, but, um, they kind of lack. Well, yeah. uh, Jane Austen, not too bad that the films that have been made of it, but I, I would dread mm-hmm. seeing my my books, I think, as movies. Yeah, so on the whole, I, I'm i quite happy that nothing has... But, you know, if I was, if an offer was made, I may not be able to resist it. Who knows? Yes. So you, so you had the two-book contract, and then um, I guess after that, what happened? It just spiraled, and you it just did. were given It did. Every time I finished and... that two-book contract, I was offered another. And I um, think only once ever have I been offered just a one-book contract, and I started to get worried, and we changed to a different publisher. And, mm-hmm. Usually now it's three book contracts. And I always ask, um, you know, what's the best thing about having your own business and your own brand? But, it, um, you know, yours is 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 obvious. I mean, you, you get to write, you get to have a flexible schedule. Um, what are a lot of the pros about being an author and, um, you know, having your own thing? What you said. <laughs> I know. And just being, I've always wanted to write, mm. and I think my imagination has always been one of my main assets. Mm. Uh, I'm a bit of an introvert, you know, a lot of my living goes on inside my head. So to be able to do that all day long, authentically, without mm. being accused of daydreaming, <laughs> and, um, you know, actually to make a living out of it, and to hear from readers about how much, you know, they've enjoyed something or what yes. it's meant to them, or they sometimes they'll quote a little sentence to me that I've written and say how much that sentence leapt out at oh, them. Yes. And, uh, yeah. I, to me, it's all, it's all pros and no cons. I can't think of any cons to being a, a writer. I, I'm extremely fortunate that I've, yeah. I'm, I've been able to live my dream for the last 30 yes. years and still I'm doing it. <laughs> and you start and you for your first book was published at 41, which I, you know, I just think it's such an inspiration for everyone. That Yes, to have had a dream Do from it. childhood and yes. it doesn't actually come to fruition until you're mm-hmm. in your 40s. Yes. yes. Yeah. And, yes. and also, of course, um, <clears throat> how marketing has changed. And oh, goodness, yes. gosh, you know, um, with social media, you have a huge Facebook following and the engagement is beyond anything I've seen with any brands that I've worked with, personal or, you know, product um, brands. And I love how um, people feel like they know you I and know. they engage and they and it's very touching send you you know personal uh, videos and photos yes I mean to build that following um you know how how did you um I, I guess it was gradual but how I know in the beginning social media was new and how did you feel about it when it first started to become big again I think I was very fortunate because I wasn't you know anyone writing now there's so much facing them, I, I, I wouldn't know where to start. Mm. Well, I can remember a writer friend of mine taking quite a while to persuade me that I really should have an email account <laughs> and <laughs> like, not want anything email, to do no. with that. Yes. And then Facebook, you know, I should be on Facebook. And I said, okay, all right, I'll give it a try. And then, of course, there were lots of other things. Now I've refused. I, I don't have a Twitter account. I'm not on Instagram. You're better off. Yes. You're better off. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to. I spend enough time as it is. And I, I yes. like to concentrate on Facebook. And then mm-hmm. I've got my website and I've got blogs on there and guest yes. book. And that, that's enough. 
Mm-hmm. But I've been lucky, and I haven't had to build my audience through the channels that authors now have to use. Yes. I, I know so many authors who just basically don't have time to write because they're so busy, try, you know, mm. with all the other things. Like, yes. Wow. yes. <laughs> and this way you can reach, um, you know, all of your readers throughout the world. I know we were trying to think of how many of your um, books have been translated, but a lot. <laughs> yes, I, I don't know a number, but it's all, it's all over the world. Yes. yes, we have a collection of all the different um, books and from all different countries, yes. and it's very cool to see. And also the um, the photos that they, you know, the covers they choose. And yes, very often I, I, I see a book. Someone would post something maybe on my page, a picture of a cover, and I think, oh what's that? And I look and they, oh, it's one of my books. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you didn't approve every cover. You only not, approved... Not foreign ones. Okay. Yes. American ones and British ones I get to, okay. I get to approve. Yes. I get a lot of input now on, on the American ones. Um, with the British, it's it's mainly a courtesy, you know. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't usually... Sometimes I do suggest a change yes. and they usually do it. But I get a lot of input on the American ones, which I love. And um, finding your inspiration, you know, um, I know you talked about writing names down. Um, you would walk through graveyards. Yes. <laughs> so we actually walked through the Mount Olive Cemetery together um, two days ago, which is close to, uh, you know, where I live. And it was so fascinating to see all the names on the tombstones. And it was just so... Just taking names. Yeah, just taking yes. names. And she would do that in the beginning, right? You know, you, if you write a book and you, you have at a minimum, 20 characters in the book, probably more, and they all have to have names. <laughs> when you've written a 100 of these things, how yes. do you keep on? <laughs> Obviously, you have to reuse names, yeah. and they also have to be authentic mm. to, to Britain, early 18th, early 19th century. That's yes. tricky. Cause they all had, they were all David, Nicholas, Robert, Richard. Michaels. Yes. Michael, <laughs> and, and women. You know, it's a, quite a small range. Yes. <laughs> Unless you can explain it. You know, if you give a character a strange name, you have to explain how they got that mm. that name. Because mm-hmm. yes. they would even be yes. like, that's a bit peculiar. Yes. yes. <laughs> that's yes. awesome. Yeah. Well, I have one family and, and all the, uh, the six brothers and sisters, they all have strange names. But their mother used to read... Um, Old Norse literature and oh. early English literature. Okay. So she drew the names of her yes. children from that. I think that's so neat. And, yes. and and anywhere else you find inspiration or it's all affair to, to come up over. with come, well, and then to come up with new storylines and you know, book ideas? No, I always find that pretty much impossible to answer because mm. I don't know. Just um, the imagination comes. is a strange thing. It's not it's not in the brain. I can't think of plots or ideas. They don't they don't come from here. I used to think I this is odd that I can't think and yet when I write it's there. But now I realise, you know, that most of your consciousness is not in your body at all. You, sorry, this this mm-hmm. is a sort of a, a spiritual thing. But yes, it, you have access to the whole of consciousness itself. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think people with vivid imaginations draw their Inspiration. I mean, I, to talk about writer's block, to narrow it down a bit, I don't believe for myself in writer's block. I remember once someone saying at a conference, if you can't think what to write at the start of a day, just write anyway, which sounds mm. absolute nonsense, but it works. As soon as I start writing, things come pouring out. 
uh, and it never fails. So there's there's an inner source for me. Mm -hmm. I just happen to have this gift. I I recognize it as a gift. Mm -hmm. I don't take any credit for the (laughs) gift, only for for using it. I mean, I'm not saying, aren't I great? I've got this gift. You know, it was given to yes. me, and, uh, but uh, yeah. it's, it's uh, you know, pl- endless plots are available. Yeah. All I have to do is sit down and start writing, and out it comes. Yes, and you have such an amazing setting. Um, you're, you live in um, the prairie town of Kipling during the summers, and you have a, a you know, gorgeous porch where you have your, you know, your setup and... Yes, screen porch, mm-hmm. so no, uh, no mosquitoes, but outdoors, and uh, I sit out there and write and... Just look around at trees and grass and, and then right on. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's heaven on earth. I love yeah. the story about when I got we got married. It was 2008. In the same month we got married in June, um, your book came out, The Ideal Wife or An Ideal Wife? Oh, I, or was it? I think I just had copies oh, of you had it copies. tonight. Okay, I, yes, <laughs> I gave them to you to give the guests. So we, we gave them out to our guests, and I also read it on my honeymoon. So I thought it was hysterical because there are some steamy parts <laughs> in these books. So I'm reading, and I'm like, like what oh, honey. Mom, what is she trying to say? <laughs> I'm like, I'm reading the steamy part. <laughs> well, I think you wanted something for your yes, the, the yes. bags you were giving out, and it seemed an appropriate yes. one called the Was it the Ideal yes, Wife? Yes, the Ideal Wife. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it was so, you know, the timing was, was great. And I just thought it was hilarious because I was like, okay, I want to be the ideal wife. This is what my mother-in-law says. So I thought that was... Let me legitimately fun. follow her manual. Yes, <laughs> yes. So I thought that was uh, that was fun. Um, and so also I know um, a lot of authors ask you for advice. And I know you get this all the time. And like you, you already you know mentioned, it's such a different world. Now, um, and there are different ways to publish. You can self-publish on Amazon. Are there any any words of wisdom that you might offer? I can't offer <laughs> any words of wisdom for people writing, starting to write now, trying mm. to get published. I, I wouldn't have a clue. You know, I'm so lucky that I'm entrenched there and don't have to do mm. all the things they have to do. But the, the only advice I will ever give to uh, would-be writers is to write. And again, that sounds like nonsense, but... You'd be amazed, I think, at the number of writers I talk to who go to conferences and conventions. They read how-to books. They do Mm. this. They do that. They never actually write. Mm. Or if they do, I I remember once sitting next to a lady at at a banquet at at a convention, and she told me she had two books on the go. And she would write one for about a week, and then she would turn it over to her critiquing group, who would take a few weeks to critique it. And while she was waiting for that, she'd work on the second book, and then it would reverse. And so with each of these two books, she'd been writing them for I don't know how long. She was maybe two chapters in. But also she'd made so many changes <laughs> that her critique group mm. had shared. How much of that book was hers? Mm. Her own voice, one of the most precious gifts you have as a writer, your voice, would have been totally leached out. Mm. And I told her then, you know, in a very 
poor throated face. <laughs> I said, do you have a, a room in your house with a lock on it? I said, go inside, lock the door and don't come out until you've got a finished book. <laughs> Just right. Just right. I know. Just right. I know. And yes. I think that's a, it's a great point. And, you know, for a lot of brands, you know, we always talk about be your authentic self, be original. There's only one you. So talk, and trust you know, it. Trust, and trust it. And yes. whatever you write is authentic to yes. you. It's from the heart. It's how you feel. And it's different from everyone else. So that's right. It's not like you have to copy someone or whatever you're writing is is original and unique and you know just just do yes. it just leap right. Yes. So that's exactly the point that that I try to make. That's that's. Do you mind if I ask you something? Mm -hmm. When you when you find yourself writing characters and their personalities, like even if it's accidental, do you find yourself drawing on people around you as personality types, even depending on the book eras? Because I know it's not the exact same thing. But, like, do you find yourselves like, hmm, that kind of reminds me of Carrie a little bit <laughs> yes. or something like question. that? Yes, it does happen. I, I yes. never deliberately set out to take a person I know or have met and, and put that person in my book. But often, as, I, as you say, as I'm writing, I think, oh, this is so-and-so. <laughs> and, and then that helps because then whenever they're reacting to something or saying something, you think, okay, what would, what would so-and-so say there and how would so-and-so behave there? What sort of mannerisms would they use? And so, yes, I do it, but never to the extent that a character is, is a the living person, person that, that, who could recognize themselves in yeah. the character. But is there moments where, like, you're reading back on it and you're like, I wonder if they notice? Like, like your husband, did it, you ever... No, no, no okay. I don't. He, he thinks all, all the heroes are him, of <laughs> course. <laughs> Maybe he That's said what that he'll to tell me. you, yes. <laughs> I believe him. Especially the one he read. He hasn't read many of my books, but one he yes. read where the hero is a blue-eyed rabbit. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yes, yeah, a war hero actually fighting in the wars, but he, he, he's convinced uh. that's himself. But I've, I've digressed. What were we talking <laughs> No, I don't think any of my characters are so similar to real people that they would recognize, or, or worse still, that someone else would recognize that person. Not going to lie, that's one of my biggest fears, too. Like, I'll yes. be writing something, and then my friend's like, wait, who is this? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes exactly. Um, and, um, and so there are quite a few um, series that go together, mm, right? How does yes. that work? Like, I know you have your Simply series and... It's actually lovely. If, yes. if I decide I'm going to write a series, I, I usually try to decide how many books I want to write in the series. In, in the uh, Slightly series, for example, is one, this was the, the last one of the Slightly Dangerous, probably my most popular book amongst I readers. I love that cover. <laughs> yes. It's yes. so simple, but yes. it's so elegant. All the books yes. of the series have similar covers, Ooh. and I like them, yes, rather than the pictures. Um, so I, I usually decide if it's a family, who are the members of this mm -hmm. family, and uh, which one am I going to start with? And what's the opening situation? But it's it's sort of tricky because as you're writing that first book, obviously because they love stories, it concentrates on the one couple. But then you're also trying to set the groundwork for the whole mm. series. So you have to bring in the other characters without overloading the reader with so many characters and so much information mm. that they, they give up on it. It's, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's tricky. But then, of course, when you come to the next books, mm -hmm. it's partly great because you've got your world set up, you've got your, your family set up, you're just drawing another character. And, and, and then they're the yes. star. But at yeah. the same time, there's the disadvantage that mm -hmm. maybe you're on book three 
and you suddenly realise that you want something to be different from what you planned, but you're locked in because that detail is in book one and it's mm. already published. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, uh, yes. you know, you have to do some planning, but I don't plan books. I'm not a plotter. But you have to do some planning when you're doing a series. But readers love series, yes. and I love writing them. So, mm-hmm. and how many books are in a series usually? Do- well, in this, in the slightly, mm-hmm. there are six. Mm-hmm. I'm writing now a Westcott family series. There are going to be eight books in mm-hmm. that, plus a novella, an ebook novella, which I'm currently writing, which is related to it. It varies. Yes, but I usually know ahead of time how many books mm-hmm. there'll be. And your most recent book um, is Someone to Trust yes. that came out, right? Yes. The end of November. And it was at the top of, was it Publishers? It was Weekly? number one on the Publishers That's Weekly. Amazing. Bestseller. It's <laughs> the first time Incredible. I've hit number one. I've been number two a number of times. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, you know, I usually see it online. <laughs> And I'm like, Mom, I call Mary Mom, um, you know, congratulations. And she doesn't share, you know, she's so humble. <laughs> well, I did and, share that. I was pretty excited about that. I know, I that, know. So. Usually you don't. It's my time to show off. I know. I, did. I posted about that on Facebook. But usually morning. you don't. So, um, and then you have Second Chances coming out February 5th. Yes, that's a collection of four novellas. Mm-hmm. Um Over the years, I've written novellas that have been in anthologies with, let's say, three or four other writers. And now we're getting to the point that we're taking my novellas from all these anthologies and putting a few of them together and e-publishing them. So that's an e-book. And actually, that book, one of the stories is is a Bedouin story. It's it's a novella that came out of this slightly series. Now they're all separate nice. novellas, not just not just kind of intertwined stories. No, they're, they're not all very separate. No, they yeah, separated by years in anthologies. They all stand alone. There's no connection mm-hmm. among them. I try to um, categorize them by theme. There are a few Christmas mm-hmm. anthologies with all Christmas stories, and that's coming out in February. So they're all sort of not exactly Valentine, yes. but spring stories. Very exciting. Mm. Yes. And, and and looking towards the future, <laughs> what excites you? What excites me? Most about, you know, the future and where you're at. I think just the very fact that at my age, you can work it out by a few hints that have been made through the, through the <laughs> interview, I can still work if mm. I want or not work if I don't mm. want. Uh, I have to just have the freedom to, to keep going. Yes. If I was still teaching, um, I would have been long, long retired, yes. and uh, I would then have had to find something else to interest me, but I've just cut back to one book a year mm-hmm. rather than two. Okay. And then you re-release some yes. of the other ones. Yes, so all my very old books are coming out, are coming out, again, out as right? e-books. Yes. is coming out March 5th, yes. and I'm Acceptable Offer, April 2nd. Yeah, I've got six of them others. coming out this year, six They're of the old <laughs> books, and, and just the one new, another of the... Uh, Yes. Someone, someone to honor coming up next November. That is. Which is book five of the West Coast. Incredible. Yes. Wow. Um, well, I uh, am always um, so proud of you. <laughs> We're always bragging about, about Mary. And um, who I, wouldn't? She's awesome. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. And um, and I know music is big to you as well and you know we talk about um your setting do you listen to music while you're writing or do you like to listen to it after 
I you don't. Know. You know, sometimes I like the idea of listening mm-hmm. to classical music when I write. I think, oh, that must, that's lovely, yeah. you know, this relaxing music going on. So sometimes I'm dating myself again here. I put a CD in the player, and, you know, this lovely classical music, and I would start <laughs> writing. And then about three hours later, I would think, hmm, silence. <laughs> I'd I like this out, a little more. I'd work out the time and think, gosh, that CD finished playing about two hours or so ago and I didn't even notice. Yes. So, you know, obviously it's a waste yes. to play music while I'm writing. I get so immersed in it that uh, I don't hear it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I know you have some favorite um, musicians. And, you know, if we always say um, if your brand were to be a a song, a song or inspired by a song, what would the Mary Bellog brand be inspired well, by? Well, I'd, I'd mention two. I think the, the basic one would be Louis Armstrong's um, What a Wonderful World. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that I, yeah, song. Yeah, me too. I yeah. know. It's, His voice, the whole uh, thing. It's His one of those songs where I, I don't listen to it often because I love listening to it. Yes. So, like, I don't want to yes. overplay it. So you you enjoy that moment I know, when you get to just, hear it, and it, it hits there, right? Straight here, yeah. it straight here, and yeah. it's so optimistic. You know, it's, you look around and you think to yourself, "What a wonderful world!" And I mean, you can look around just as easily and say, "What a ghastly world! <laughs> what are we doing to ourselves?" Mm. But you know, to still have this attitude to look around and say, "What a wonderful world!" Yes, uh, I love that song. And mm. and then I was going to mention um, a Welsh song which is called Hiraith mm. um, H-I-R-A-E-T-H which means longing and it's the sort of deep seated longing for home if you're far away from it you mm. know if, if ever I hear that song being mm. sung I start to cry oh. Wales, <laughs> Wales. <laughs> but it's such a beautiful song and I based a book on it one book mm. I set in Wales and it was called Longing which is the translation mm. of the world the book is called Longing oh. that's, that's another song that just oh, gets me right I think that's what I look for mostly in music is the, the emotional mm-hmm. impact. It sort of bypasses thought or even hearing in a way. It just goes straight there. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's wonderful. And um, thank you again for for being a guest. And I would love to um, tell everyone your website. Is it marybellog.com? Yes. And your uh, your Facebook is the author author Mary Ballog. Mary Ballog yes. on, on Facebook. So, yes. um, well, this was really a, a special, special um, podcast, and I can't thank you enough for Oh, for thank, thank you for asking me. I was, I was quite excited when yes. you asked me. Yes. Well, thank you again. I see skies of blue.